Hi, church. Thanks so much for connecting with us in this way. It's so important, particularly during these times, that we stay connected, that we continue to gather around. So important for our cohesion. It's so important for reasons that will actually become more apparent uh, in what I'm going to share today. But uh, I just really thank you guys for stepping in and, uh, and staying connected in this way. We continue to look today at the amazing story of Joshua and the conquest of the promised land. We have Moses and the exodus from Egypt and uh, crossing the desert. And then, of course, the amazing story uh, after that period of Joshua and the conquest of the promised land. There are key elements of Joshua's military mission that are clearly not just about military strategy. This seems to anticipate something bigger, something that transcends the military context. There's clearly something of a higher spiritual nature happening here. Now, of course, we need to be cautious about finding higher spiritual meanings uh, in Old Testament stories. It has to be evident from uh, the stories themselves that this is meant to be the case. And it also needs to be, uh, in some sense, authorised by the New Testament. And this does appear to be the case, particularly with the story that I want to look at today, the story, the amazing story of the conquest of Jericho. You might be familiar with this story, but I want to highlight how significant and just how pertinent this story is to the present moment. There's something really significant about this. I believe there's something here for us as a church now, and I'm going to address this message to Christians primarily. But if you are new to the Christian faith, I'm so glad that you're willing and able to listen in because these are vital truths here that are relevant to everyone, everywhere. In some ways, I'm addressing the church today as a kind of like a general might address his troops. Uh, that's appropriate, I think, from a biblical point of view because the church is often depicted in military terms, uh, fighting a kind of battle with Christians described as soldiers. Now, the fact that we're somewhat in a somewhat disparate state, I think, makes this all the more necessary because like an army, we need to operate in unity. We need to reconstitute that unity around a single biblical strategy. That's what I want to talk about today. And if, you're, if you are new to the Christian faith, I hope I can encourage you today to find your place in God's purpose because you have a calling in God and God is inviting you to take your place in His purpose for you. Now, unlike Joshua, we are not engaged in a military mission against physical enemies and physical strongholds. Rather, we're engaged in a mission against what the New Testament describes as spiritual strongholds and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, the, the idea of a spiritual realm and spiritual strongholds is, of course, somewhat strange in our culture. But it's something that's acknowledged and really taken for granted in every other culture, including that in which the Bible was written, which is partly why we don't get much explanation about it. It's just assumed. It's just a background fact. 
Now, the way that some people dismiss these cultures and these beliefs uh, in our time as primitive is actually so problematic. I'm not even going to begin to deal with this now uh, as much as I love a bit of a philosophical sparring match. Let's not get distracted. In one sense, the aspiration of Christian mission is the same aspiration that all people with a sense of cause share. It's to make the world a better place, to create an environment for people to flourish and reach their potential. There is, however, a central consideration that uh, secular approaches often fail to understand. There is a vital spiritual aspect to transforming people's lives for good. And it isn't just one part, it is actually the central part. Uh, A few years ago, I went to a a pastor's seminar in a very uh, poor, largely Hindu area of northern India. And uh, I heard that this Indian uh, development expert uh, point out very insightfully, I think, that the key to the transformation of people's lives in poverty is actually the breaking of spiritual strongholds. This is what he pointed out. Toxic beliefs that hold people in poverty. I mean, if a poor child grows up believing that her dharma, Indian word, it's a Hindu idea of sacred duty, that her dharma and therefore her place in life is to pick rags out of the putrid rubbish tips, which they pretty much do as soon as they learn to walk, how are they ever going to move forward if they believe that about themselves? This isn't just an idea that needs to be broken, something that becomes a state of mind, even deeper, actually. It's a kind of spiritual paralysis that keeps people in poverty. It is a spiritual stronghold. That's why they famously say, you have to get poverty out of the person before you can get the person out of poverty. Believe me, our culture has some serious spiritual strongholds, every bit of serious, strongholds that keep people spiritually impoverished. And we may be materially prosperous and free, but we are still spiritually oppressed and starved, speaking broadly, even within our culture. And I'm talking about spiritual strongholds here, of course, because this relates to the story in the book of Joshua that I want to look at today. And of course, it's the story of the wholesale destruction of the stronghold of Jericho in Joshua chapter 6. But this is no ordinary siege account. The way this happens, clearly and deliberately, prefigures a greater spiritual dimension that will eventually transcend physical battles. Now, it is, of course, the wholesale military conquest that makes this story a real struggle for a lot of people today. You know, it's hard for us to accept that God would command military incursion as drastic as this. But while the military aspect of this action makes it hard for us to accept, the absence of any military aspect would have made this impossible for ancient people to accept. In the ancient mind, a god who didn't defeat other gods in military conflicts was of no significance. God is speaking here 
in a language that ancient people could understand. And he's doing this in a way, and this is the point that I'm making, he's doing this in a way that clearly points beyond military conflicts so that eventually we would realise, as the New Testament repeatedly teaches, that we do not fight a battle against people, rather we fight a battle against spiritual strongholds for people. That's where this is going. I made that point before, but it's worth repeating. That's why we can read this story and strip away the physical military aspects and apply it to today. Because the military aspect was always meant to be transcended and left behind. Okay, so Joshua chapter 6. So Israel is about to enter and take this land, the promised land. But the way in, just north of the Dead Sea, the way in is guarded by this ancient fortified town, Jericho. Now Jericho, let me tell you something interesting about Jericho. I think significantly for the symbolism of this story, for this story, Jericho is actually the oldest known stronghold in the world. It's been settled since around 9,000 BC. That's right at the beginning of the Neolithic period. Now, the very existence of walled strongholds from a biblical perspective testifies to the fall and the fragmentation of humanity, of course. So the fact that this is possibly the oldest stronghold in the world, I think, has some significance here. Because what God really wants to demonstrate in the symbolism of this story is how the most ancient spiritual stronghold within which humanity is incarcerated is going to be broken. So there's great significance to how the Israelites are going to breach the stronghold of Jericho. What we see in this story, which I'm going to read now, what we see in this story is nothing like a military siege. It's something that looks much more like a religious procession, a spiritual act, rather than a military act. And of course, that's exactly the point. Okay, let's read from Joshua chapter 6. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. Sounds like a spiritual stronghold to me. No one went out, no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Sounds like something Jesus said about all authority is given to me, therefore make disciples. I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout and then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone, straight in. Now, as I said, there is nothing here that resembles a recognisable military strategy. There's no mention of soldiers, armaments, siege equipment. It's all priests and trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant. This is a spiritual gesture and religious action that actually mirrors previous instructions for worship more than anything of a military nature. Firstly, 
the circuit procession over six days. And then the seven circuits on the seventh day, of course, evokes the creation story in Genesis chapter one, where we see God exercising his sovereignty and establishing his order over and against the watery chaos. And of course, there is strong symbolism here being evoked both here, both there in Genesis and here again, making it clear that this is a spiritual imposition of divine power over the forces of chaos. Secondly, the action of shouting actually evokes the Psalms where this same word is used most often. It's the word teruach from the root word ruach in Hebrew, which means breath or spirit. In different forms in the Psalms, the word is used actually to denote the exclamation of praise. And then thirdly, there's the use of trumpets here, which is also significant. Trumpets, of course, were used to signal when the cloud of God's presence was moving the people onwards or calling them to rest. And they played a very important part in the worship of Israel in the tabernacle. This isn't a military act, folks. This is an act of worship. That's how the ancient stronghold is breached. So let's read on from verse six. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march round the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. At this time, the trumpets were sounding, verse 10, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the night there. And they must have been thinking, what on earth are we doing? Verse 12, Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. I'm going to skip forward a few verses here. It talks about the saving of Rahab, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago and everything in the city being devoted to God. Verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted at the sound of the trumpet. When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. This is a vital prophetic act being performed here, folks, that points to a vital truth. Paul applies the lesson, I think, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says here in verse 3, 
For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I think he's thinking of that story. He says we demolish arguments. The Greek word here is a rich Greek word, logismus, meaning it's kind of alluding to a false knowledge, lies in the deepest and most embedded sense. And then he says, and every pretension and the Greek word here is hupsoma, which actually means something made high. It's used figuratively with a connotation of a lofty fortress that sets itself up, he says, against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. God is in the business of demolishing strongholds and taking captives for freedom of those who are captive in oppressive, in oppressive strongholds. And he's going to do that through us, not with the weapons of the world, but with spiritual weapons as we pray and worship. I get this sense, I get this sense from biblical prophecy that the more the kingdom of God advances in this age, the deeper into hostile territory we go and the more ancient and entrenched the strongholds become. One of the things that our spiritual enemy does is to try to make us believe that he is bigger and more powerful than he is, that the walls are too high and too strong and his influence is too great. He wants us to believe that the government is on his shoulders and that everything, the whole system is in his power at every level, that we're surrounded on every side, that it's all in his hands, that he's using us, using it all to bring us down, that everything is against us. And of course, he'll try to make you feel like you and maybe a few others are the only ones who see something about this, just to separate you out and bring you out from under the spiritual covering of your church, which will also probably try and convince you that he's controlling that too. So if we feel like everything is against us, then we'll get drawn into fighting battles against almost everything indiscriminately until we end up clashing with each other. And this causes the very thing that the enemy has always sought to create, chaos and confusion. We lose our focus and our discipline. We become an army of many generals with conflicting opinions and every soldier engaged in a different battle with no cohesion or focus. So today I want to come back to some simple truths. Let's get this Straight. Let's get back to the simple truth and the simple plan as it's depicted in this story. First, let's be reminded, folks, that Jesus is Lord, that He reigns, that as it says in Isaiah 9 verse 6, the government is upon His shoulders. And let's be reminded when it seems like everything against us, let's be reminded what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I felt that there's real significance actually in Psalm 2, 
We've been thinking about this psalm. It's very relevant for now. It starts with this picture. It says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. And it's like, oh no, all of this stuff's happening. All is, you know, we're inclined to say all is lost. But listen, you know what verse four says? Verse four says, but the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. That doesn't sound like God's particularly worried about this situation. Doesn't sound like God's frustrated or worried, does it? But we get so frustrated and worried. I believe, folks, I believe God is calling us to lean in to the throne room of God in worship and to not only hear the laughter of God, but to join in. There's a party going on in the throne room of God of joy. God is calling us to rejoice and worship before strongholds. It's like the worst plan you could ever come up with from a worldly point of view. It's like an army of fools, but this is how we win. I've got a plan. I've got a plan. Here's something I think we can unite under. Let's not ascribe greatness to our enemy. Let's do what Moses told us to do in Deuteronomy 32 and ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. In other words, we're gonna defeat the strongholds of this world the way that, exactly the way that Joshua did not by rising up in human strength against our adversaries, but by bowing down in human weakness before God in worship. We can argue. We can argue about where the enemy is and who the enemy is, but there's no confusion about where God is and who God is. So let's unite folks around that. We're gonna turn our backs on the enemy and we're going to face God because God has got our backs and He wants us face to face with Him. Because it says in Psalm 3, uh, 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 yes, yeah, Psalm 3, very next Psalm after Psalm 2, figures. Psalmist says, Lord, how many of my foes, how many rise against me, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But He says, but you, are a shield around me. It's like he's laughing, but you are a shield around me, Lord. You bestow glory upon me. You lift up my head. To the Lord, he says, to the Lord, I cry aloud. And he answers me from his holy hill. Folks, I got a plan. As it says in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. That's what we're gonna do. It's about as foolish as Joshua's strategy. That's the plan. That's my plan. It's not my plan, actually. It's the same plan that's going on in this story. Recently, as I was spending some time in prayer, I, I felt God impress this on me. It was particularly significant, actually, uh, Monday, a couple of Mondays ago. I had this ama amazing pursue night, amazing worship night uh, here at church. And I'm sorry we couldn't have more uh, people there. Um, I, I really, in, in the light of that, I, I came away from that and as I was praying a, a couple of days later, 
I felt God saying, not just to me, but to us, and I had this story in mind, the story of Jericho, I just felt God saying, keep marching around the walls. Just keep marching around the walls, even even when it feels like nothing's happening. Even when you go around, think, well, nothing happened there. That wasn't, there was not much. Just keep marching around the walls. Keep on worshipping. Keep on waiting upon me, God is saying. Keep coming back to my word. Keep praying. Even if it's not in a format that you like, don't break formation. Just keep marching. Now, we're in our present situation. We're still we are still able to meet around worship and the Word, albeit in this format or when things open up in other formats and who knows what that's going to be because it changes all the time. But there's something to learn here, I believe. As we are not able to do this necessarily in ways that we want, I think God is testing our resolve and the strength of our formation. Listen, there were plenty of times in the early church period, when they were split up and shut down for reasons far more hostile than anything we're ostensibly facing. Even during fierce persecution in those early years, the Christians didn't try to rise up against the worldly powers. They just kept on praying and worshipping, even if it was in small groups in burial crypts underground in the catacombs. I visited the catacombs in Rome. It's like it's like being in a hole. In, it's a, well, it is. It's a hole in the ground. It's a grave. Talk about lockdown. <laughs> but when they were able to safely meet again, the church that emerged out of those holes in the ground took over the empire. It was so powerful. Of course, this is when things started to go badly because once they won the Roman world over, they started using the power of the world rather than God's power. After a while, that is. Feels like we make that mistake a lot. But every time the church puts down the weapons of this world and picks up its spiritual weapons, every time the church returns to the word and worship, creates an unstoppable spiritual force. So that's the plan. We're going to keep building community and growing people as we pursue God together, no matter what the circumstances. We're going to keep walking around the wall. Things may not be the way that you want, but listen, don't say, oh, look, there's the army going around the wall every day for six days. I think I'll just sit out until they get to the seventh day. In the history of bad ideas, that's the worst idea. Because the breakthrough is for those that go the distance. Hang in there. Keep formation. Don't sit out. There is breakthrough. This is, I, I feel this intensely. There's a sense of promise in this as God says, you keep walking around the walls. One Hope Church, keep walking around the walls because there's breakthrough up ahead. The right time. As I said, I think God's testing our perseverance. Who's willing to keep going even when it seems like a monotonous circuit? Who's willing to hang in there with the rest of the army even even when it's not what you want? Even when nothing seems to be happening? Who's willing to stay connected even if it means meeting in the catacombs? Keep walking around the walls. Listen, fall in, soldiers. 
All you who decided to sit out until the seventh day, fall in for the six day walk. Step back in while it's still uneventful. Step back in while there's nothing happening. Step back in when it's not the way that you want it to be. This is the right time to step back in. Oh, One Hope Church. I'm, I'm gonna go to One Hope Church. There's absolutely nothing happening there, but let me tell you, there's breakthrough up ahead. And we're gonna march around the walls. We're gonna hang in there. Keep formation, church. Fall in to formation. Let's get marching because there's breakthrough up ahead.